0: Okay, today is July the 5th, 2011, and we're kind of getting back on our standard operating procedure after all the excitement and fun we've had, the celebration, now we get back to our knitting. So let's, let's observe our SOP, Moment of Silent Prayer, Rebound if Necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you are in control of all things. Nothing can happen without your notice. Nothing can happen without your protection, your provision for us. Your grace is always sufficient, and your mighty word is always available. So we pray that you will help us to focus on it this evening. Pray that you will help us to grow in grace and knowledge, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Last Friday I was in Houston at West Houston Bible Church, and there was a special visitor. There were six pastors there, and Mir Shlomo, the Council General of Israel was there to address us, and he t- he had to go to a meeting, but he was there probably about forty five minutes and he was kind of updating us on things that are going on with Israel. I don't know if you kn- remember about a flotilla about a year ago that was headed towards Israel. He said that they uh, they c- couldn't allow this flotilla to go to Gaza without checking it out to make sure there weren't rockets aboard and so forth. They boarded five ships with no issue at all, and he said it was their fault. They kind of let their guard down. The fifth ship was completely different, and there was a, a situation, uh, and there was, there was, of course, violence. The, the main thing that happens in these incidents is that it gives Israel a black eye in public opinion. That's what really they're really concerned about is public opinion. They're not sure whether this September or not whether the Palestinians are going to go to the U.N. and ask for statehood. If they do, it's a foregone conclusion. They will get statehood. But I understood that just because they have statehood doesn't mean that they have any territory. doesn't mean that there's going to be a certain portion um, that's going to be cordoned off for them. I don't know exactly how that will work. But the, one of the biggest areas of contention is Jerusalem. The Jews are never going to let that go. It is the capital of Israel, and probably the Palestinians will want it as their capital. I don't know how all that will uh, pan out, but um, there is another second flotilla that has already left to go to Israel. Both flotillas came from Turkey, and they are, again, with the same purpose. Four of the six ships now are quarantined in Greece. Uh, Greece is trying to hold them there as long as they can uh, with inspections to make sure they have enough fire extinguishers and thing, that type of thing. But that can only last for so long. Then they're going to be <coughs> headed for Israel. And again, we hope that it won't be another incident. That's to show that they're trying to do is paint Israel as the bad guy. And so they're pushing the envelope with this uh, flotilla. In the latest edition of the Berean Call, there is two pages. Actually, what this is is a transcript of a prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, when he addressed our Congress. And there's just a few I've just got a couple of paragraphs highlighted here that I thought were worth mentioning. He said, Today the Middle East stands as a fateful crossroads. This path, he was talking about the path of peace uh, earlier, this path is not paved by elections alone. It is paved when governments permit protest in town squares, when limits are placed on the powers of rulers when judges are beholden to laws and not men, and when human rights cannot be crushed by tribal loyalties or by mob rule. Israel has always embraced this path. The Middle East has long rejected it. In a region where women are stoned, gays are hanged, Christians are persecuted, Israel stands out. Courageous Arab protesters are now struggling to secure these very same rights for their people, for their societies. Of the 300 million Arabs in the Middle East and North Africa, only Israeli Arab citizens enjoy real democratic rights. Of those 300 million Arabs, less than one-half of one percent are truly free, and they are all citizens of Israel." He says, the benefits of peace with the Palestinians are so clear. Why has peace eluded us? Because all six Israeli prime ministers, since the signing of the Oslo Accords, agreed to establish a Palestinian state, myself included. So why has peace not been achieved? Because so far, the Palestinians have not been excuse me, have been unwilling to accept a Palestinian state if it meant accepting a Jewish Jewish state alongside it. See, that's the crux of the matter, and this is something that I'm just beginning to see myself. The Palestinians can have a state anytime they want it because the UN is in their pocket. But to have a Palestinian state they know that they're going to have to seed to a Jewish state right beside it. And this is what they have not done. You know, in 1948, there was a U.N. resolution and they offered a certain amount of geography to both Israel and to the Arabs. The Israel took their plot of ground, but the Arabs refused because they refused to acknowledge that the Jews had a right to even exist and they've been in that mode ever since. Now, so whether they are going to go to the UN for uh, statehood or not remains to be seen. It just uh, nobody knows how that's going to be. I used to think that if they got a state, it had it would involve a geographical area that would make Israel indefensible. But according to Mir Shlomo, he said that's not necessarily the case. The last part I'll read to you here. He says. You see, our conflict has never been about the establishment of a Palestinian state. It has always been about the existence of the Jewish state. In 1947, the United Nations voted to partition the land into a Jewish state and an Arab state. The Jews said yes and the Palestinians said no. In recent years, the Palestinians twice refused generous offers by Israeli prime ministers to establish a Palestinian state on virtually all the territory won by Israel in the Six-Day War. They were simply unwilling to end the conflict, and I forget to say this. They continued to educate their children to hate. They continued to name public squares after terrorists, and worst of all, They continue to perpetuate the fantasy that Israel will one day be flooded by the descendants of the Palestinian refugees. And it goes on. But anyway, I thought that was interesting. It's it's great to hear uh, someone that has his finger on the pulse of Israel. This man was in the tank brigades in the 1948 war when they uh, crossed into the Sinai Peninsula. He's a very interesting man uh, to talk to. I think it's in it August or September. He is asking that the uh, doctrinally oriented churches will set aside one Sunday uh, that will be dedicated to the Jews and talk about them and their issues and so forth. Um, he he was he gave us just some some insights that um, that you don't hear too often, and when you hear it coming from someone that is has been there, knows the the issue. It's it's very informative. Anyway, we need to keep praying for the Jews. That is one of our responsibilities. Uh, You can measure the ebb and flow of time, especially with regards to eschatology, by looking at Israel. And Israel is back in the land. And that is huge. Okay, let's turn in our Bibles to Second Thessalonians chapter three. Second Thessalonians chapter three. We get a lot of practical information here towards the end of this chapter. In verse 10, he already made the issue. He says, uh, this is 2 Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, we urged you to give you this order. We used to give you this uh, order. If anyone will not work, neither let him eat. That is about as direct and forthcoming as you can be. If you distilled it down to its very essence, he, he caught it right there. There were people who were not working for various reasons. One reason is because they had misconstrued their eschatology. They thought that Jesus Christ might be there any day, maybe the next week, certainly by the end of the month. And so they quit working. They didn't have credit cards, but if they would have had credit cards, they would have maxed them out. Why not go ahead and live fat off the land when you're not going to have to pay because Christ is going to return and you won't have to deal with that this gives me the opportunity to say yet again that we are to anxiously anticipate the Lord's return. There is a crown for those, a reward, a decoration for those who think about our Lord's return and desire it and anxiously anticipate it. But we don't want to go bonkers over this. I mean... It is true that He could come at any moment. We don't know when He's going to return. But to get in the mode to where you're no longer living your life in a normative way is not biblical. That's what these Thessalonians were doing. If you would refuse to plant a tree, you might even not, not even plant a garden. You can't eat that squash if Christ is going to come before, so why plant it? You've been just about as well not planting it this year anyway. Uh, I'm out there watering my garden every single day and just trying to keep it alive. And I don't even know why I'm trying to keep it alive. Hardly anything is producing. It's just stunted. It's just kind of there. But uh, I don't need to get off on gardens. But the point is you want to live your life in a normative way and yet with great expectation. For me, what it means for me is the older I get, the more I read, the more knowledge I acquire, the more anxious I am for Christ to return because we live in an exceedingly degenerate and evil world. And Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is the only one that is able to set it straight. And set it straight, He will do. And we will see it. We'll be a part of it. I, when Christ returns, not only are we going to see Christ, not not only is our lives from that point on completely be, will be changed, we'll have a resurrection body, we'll see Christ, but we'll see all those loved ones that's gone on before us. There's not going to be any more old sin nature. There's not going to be any more sin, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more locks and keys and gnats and snakes and chiggers and all the other things. I know this is small potatoes, but they add up, don't they? So we are to be looking forward to Christ, but we don't want to uh, be inordinate in so doing because people are watching us. And if they think we're wacko, that is not a good testimony. It's not being a good ambassador. But there's all these... Opportunities that we have. Can't remember the man's name, but a month or so ago, he said, "Well, the rapture's coming," and he also said, "The end of the world." What a great opportunity if you were around the uh, coffee break and they saying, "Well, is the is the is the rapture going to happen and the end of the world going to happen this week or whatever?" What a great time to pull out your eschatology and says, "If Christ did return, it'd have to be at least." A 1,007 years before the earth could even start to be uh, changed. It's going to be done away with, new heavens and new earth, but it's not going to happen with Christ's return. There is so much ignorance out there. It give you a great opportunity. Those are the kind of opportunities you need to be looking for. But you don't want to come across as better than thou and get on your soapbox or behind your pulpit. Just talk to people like you normally would I've seen it happen so many times. People, Christians, are just their normal self and they talk to people. They're communicating. And then when they start talking about the Bible, they get all breathy. We're talking about the Word of God. The people are looking, what happened to you? So just talk to folks. That's all you need to do. I mean, we, we handle the Word of God with reverency, but we also... We ought to be dogmatic about it. We know what is going to happen because God has revealed it. We don't want to come across as snobs. The Holy Spirit will lead us. Look for those opportunities. But I better never read in the paper of any of y'all getting on top of the house with a sheet, with your hands up towards heaven. uh, I won't won't acknowledge that I know you. (laughs) They go to what church? No, I don't think so. Greg, would you mind... Please, sir. Thank you. I'm parched. Okay, so we move on to Second Thessalonians 3, verse 11. You can see it in your Bible, so you can look up here. This is lesson 58. Second Thessalonians 3, 11. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. I can't wait to get into this. Thank you. There was a lot of exegesis that I had to do on this, but it's really interesting. Most of the time, exegesis makes people yawn, but if you hang in there, you're going to see that there are some pretty clever things that the Word of God is doing here. First of all, we have, for we hear that some among you, uh, and we hear is a kouo, A-K-O-U-O. It's a verb, present, active, indicative. It means that they kept on hearing this. They just didn't hear it once. It was an ongoing thing. And akuo means to hear someone or something, but usually of the thing. The present tense indicates that Paul and his companions heard reports on an ongoing basis about some believers in Thessalonica who were lazy and causing trouble. And I will remind you again, Thessalonica was a good church. It was one of the better churches. And yet there were still some in there that were not working, they were lazy, and they were causing trouble. Every church has its troublemakers. And I'm not talking about those who profess Jesus and are not really saved. I'm talking about those who are saved. And they are leading an unprincipled life. Here, this is interesting. The word leading here, they were leading an unprincipled life. The leading here is Peripateo. How many of you recognize that word? You should have. You should recognize it. P e r i p a t e o. It's a uh, here. It's a par, uh, it's a verb. Actually, it's a participle. I don't know what the V is doing there. It's a participle. It's a present active participle, and it means to walk. We have this all the time. In fact, I'm, we're going to go over several verses. Hope you have your thinking hat on tonight. Because this is going to be interactive. I'm going to start asking you all some things and give you the opportunity to answer. Don't be shy. We're just folks. If you have something that you think might be a good answer, let me know. You'll see why in a moment. Peripateo means to walk figuratively. It means to live or pass one's life, to conduct one's life, comport oneself, behave or live as a habit of conduct. Now, you see here, Peripateto, it says leading an unprincipled life. It could very easily say walking in an undisciplined way. It would mean the same thing, wouldn't it? So this peripeteo, where we see most of the time refers to walking, here it's translated leading, and this is a good translation of it. Now most of the time when we're, I, I'm going to have, I have a list of verses that we're going to look at. And I'm going to ask you some questions about them, but probably at least 50% of the time, peripeteo means just what it means to walk. When Jesus peripateo'd out on the water, he walked on the water. It just means to physically walk, and it means that way a lot of the time. Probably about half the time though, it's figurative. Here's one of the figurative ways that it's used. John 8:12. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, "I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." What does that mean to walk in darkness? If you're not walking in the darkness, it says you will have the light of life. Anybody want to take a crack at that? No. <laughs> what does it mean? You see, I, I, I'm doing what I do to the young people all the time. I read something and they're there. And it says, okay, I, well, I, I don't read it to them. I have them read. When, when we read the Bible, we don't read it. They read it. And they stand up and they read it. And then when they're through reading it, I said, okay, what does that mean? And I get the same look that I'm getting from you right now. I'm supposed to say what it means? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. You see, we just came out of... Remember when we were in First Thessalonians chapter 5 and all that about darkness and light? Remember that? Sometimes darkness and light is distinguishing between a believer and an unbeliever. But many times it's talking about a believer as to whether he is In fellowship, whether he's filled with the Holy Spirit or whether he's into carnality. How can you tell the difference? And you can answer it in one word. You know how you tell the difference? Context. You just look at the context. What is it talking about? And that's how you determine but you can't have you can't say darkness and light always means the same thing because it doesn't sometimes it's distinguishing between a believer and unbeliever sometimes it's distinguishing between a carnal believer and a spiritual believer which one is this one is this talking about a difference between a believer and unbeliever or a believer that is carnal or one who is spiritual just look at the context Here's a hint for you. He who follows me. That's talking about believers, isn't it? Okay. Romans 6, 4. Walk in newness of life. Now, some of these can be a bit misconstrued. Some would say that this is talking about when a person believes in Jesus Christ and is saved. From then on, he's going to walk in newness of life. And the evidence that he was truly saved, that he really believed, the evidence is how he conducts himself and comports himself. Is that true? Or is this just talking about walking in newness of life? Where would you go? Where's the Scripture? I'm going to start hammering more and more about Bibliology so you'll know where to find things. There's a Scripture that hits this exactly on target that will explain what this is talking about. Anybody have an idea? 2 Corinthians. What chapter? 2 Corinthians 5. Let's go there. 2 Corinthians 5. It's not your fault that you're, very, you're strong on theology and weak on bibliology, but I'm going to try to change that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Now what we're talking about is in Romans 6.4. It says, walk in newness of life. How do you walk in newness of life? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This is what it says. Therefore, if any man is in Christ... Now, that if, by the way, is a first-class conditional clause. He's talking to believers, and they are in Christ. The one way to translate this is, therefore, if any man is in Christ, and you are in Christ, he is a new creature a new spiritual species, something that has never been before and will never happen again because we are royal family, church-age believers. We are new creatures, completely completely different. Then the old things have passed away and the new things have come. Now, for those who are lightweights with regards to doctrine, they think that the old things that have passed away Automatically, instantly, when you believe in Jesus Christ, are your old bad habits. You no longer swear anymore. You no longer cuss. You quit chewing tobacco. You quit having a nip now and then or whatever it might be. That's the way a lot of people think what they think it is. But you're going to see that the things, the old things that have passed away, are the things that God does at salvation. Salvation. None of this is talking about us changing our personality or our habits or anything else. It's what God does automatically when we become believers. Some of the old things, if you want to make a, a little notation in your margin, that have passed away is condemnation, spiritual death, the absolute control of the old sin nature. Those things are gone forever for the believer in Jesus Christ. Why? Is it has anything to do with our behavior? No. It has everything to do with what God did for us at the moment of salvation. Some of the more 40 things that happened. And the new things have come. Now again, people think, now I'm new. I'm, I'm a much better person. And they think that, and this is how this usually goes down. I had it done to me. I walked the eye. I was, had literally was prodded in my back from my Sunday school teacher. I was 12 years old. This was the time to go, prod me in the back, and I went up there. And the whole church saw, oh, okay, he's born again. And then everybody, were cutting, they were cutting their eyes at me, looking, now, you know, now that you're a believer, you, know, you can't do that anymore. And I just got a bad taste in my mouth because I, I started doubting my salvation. I thought, well, maybe I'm not really saved because I don't feel any different. I still have the same old bad habits. I didn't get rid of my temper. So here are the things new things that come as it's what God does for us. The new things that come is eternal life. Didn't have that before? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God's own righteousness imputed to you. The filling of the Holy Spirit, a new spirit. A, a, a human spirit that you didn't have before. All these things are new. So verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things. Look at verse 18. This this is what I want you to underline. Now, all these things are from God. You're a new creature because of what God did for you, not because you are peripateo, not because... Uh, You are uh, walking in newness of life. Some, Listen to this. Some believers never walk in newness of life. They remain spiritual morons. They don't know anything about Christ. They don't know anything about the spiritual dynamics of the church age. They're not not interested in God. They're glad that that Jesus came around and, and took care of their sin problem, but they don't want a relationship with Him. They never walk in newness of life. The only way that you can walk in newness of life is to grow up, learn something about doctrine, and then you can start walking and executing the Christian way of life. If you're in ignorance, it's not going to happen, and it's not going to happen overnight. That might be more information than you wanted on Romans chapter 6, verse 4, walk in newness of life. But that's what it really means. It means that you have to avail yourself of the grace that God has given us. That you might, remember, um, I think it was in, was it 1st or 2nd Peter? Um, That you might partake of the spiritual nature. Remember that? What is it? 2nd Peter. Remember, that's only a potential A lot of people think that when you are born again, you're a believer, that you automatically acquire a a godly nature. And that's not true. There's a lot of things that you acquire that come from God, but it's only a potential. You you, you acquire that nature over a, a period of time and you learn to walk in newness of life. And I'm still learning how to do that. How about you? I still have challenges. I still have times when I want to revert to my old wheel ruts because it's so comfortable. It's so easy to do. I know how to do that. It's just nothing. Nothing for me to do. I just default to that. But I'm still learning, oh, I don't have to do that. I don't have to get angry. I don't have to get even. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to grit my teeth. None of that is the things, the fruit of the Spirit. that have anything to do with that. So I'm learning to walk in newness of life. And I would suppose that you are too, maybe. Hopefully. Yes, Michael. Hold of life. Taking hold of eternal life. Yes, sir. If you are walking in newness of life, paraphrasing, or you might say, a a synonym, a parallel to that, would be taking hold of eternal life. We all have eternal life, according to what verse? What verse would you go into the Bible that you could say for certain that you have eternal life? Yeah, John three thirty six. He who believes on the Son what has eternal life. It's not something you're going to. You have it right then. What is it based on? Faith in Christ. You have that. That's a gun deal. Is it, how long does eternal life last, by the way? A long time. If it lasts that long, you can't lose it, can you? If you lost it, it wouldn't be called eternal life. It would be called temporary life. How would you like to have that offered to you? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you have temporary life until you do a real no-no, then it's gone. Well, that's what a lot of people believe. I've got to press on. We'll never get through these verses. But I want you to think about these things. These are not just little phrases. We're talking about peripeteo. We're talking about behavior. You have to be able to distinguish when it's talking about believers versus unbelievers, when it's talking about believers who are carnal versus those who are spiritual. And it's a walk. Romans 8, 4. Do not walk according to the flesh, but according to... The Spirit. Now, this is fundamental, isn't it? I mean, kindergarten stuff is to realize that when you're a believer, you're in one of two statuses. You're either in the bottom circle, and most of you know what I'm talking about, or you're outside the bottom circle, you're over here in carnality. You're always in the top circle. And so that's just talking about the difference between being carnal and being spiritual. All right, are you ready for your bibliology question? Uh, y'all all wince when I do that. Where in the Bible would you go to show, okay, I want to show someone that there are two statuses, spiritual and carnal. We just saw one right here in Romans 8, 4, 4. Walk 4. Do not walk according to flesh, but according to the Spirit. Where else would you go? That's what we need, our Addresses. First Corinthians chapter 3 verse 2 go to it We're already in second Corinthians just go back one I think it's verse 2 it might be verse 1 If you can get within a verse you're close enough First Corinthians 3 and and I brethren could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to babes in Christ. That's carnal. There you have it. Two different statuses right there. Carnal and spiritual. And then he starts getting on their case because they were acting like babies, spiritual babies. I think any, any person who is in charge should applaud and praise those who do good and should get on the case of those who are not. And that's what Paul did. Romans thirteen thirteen, let us behave properly. You know what that behave is? The Greek word there is peripeto. That's just another way that they translate it. And I think it's a good translation. Romans fourteen fifteen. You are no more walking according to love. What does it mean to walk in love? Here's another one in here. We just see it. Where is it? Look here. Ephesians five two. Walk in love. Who are we required to love? Anybody? Everybody, we are required to love everyone, are we not? We can't pick and choose who we are to love. Those people that we don't like, what do we have to do? We have to love. We have to love people we do not like. Can you do that? Well, that's a trick question. None of us can do it on our own. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can do it. He gives us the power The ability to love people we don't even like. Those people who you, 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 you you hear their name and you just, you just growl. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about either. Y'all are so pious looking. You little old halos. There are people just great on us, but God gives us no latitude. He says, love them. You can love people you do not like because it doesn't have anything to do with emotions or feelings. It has to do with living and let live. It has to do with toleration. It has to be the way that God loves us. How often does God have to love you when you are totally undeserving of His love? That's how we love. And what is that kind of love? Impersonal love. Unconditional love. We love based on the character that we have developed from the doctrine, from the filling of the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to do that. 1 Corinthians 3.3. Here it is again. We just look at verse 1. 1 Corinthians 3.1, verse 3. Are you not fleshly and are you not walking as mere men? What is walking as mere men? What's another way how you could describe that? Couldn't you describe that as being in carnality? Couldn't you describe that as being out of fellowship? He's talking to believers here. We know the context. This isn't unbelievers versus believers. This is talking about believers who are in reversionism. They either have really gone off the farm or else they're just in a little temporary trip into the cosmic compound. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 7. 5, chapter 5, verse 7. Listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is whammy verse. I mean, whammy chapter. That whole chapter is loaded. How many of you remember 2 Corinthians 5, 19? And we went over it at least a dozen times. Does anybody remember 2 Corinthians 5, 19? For God was in Christ... Reconciling the world. Right? What's the rest? <laughs> it has trespasses in it, remember? Oh wow, let's go back to Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians. See, we're in Second Corinthians five seven. We'll look at both of them while we're there. This is the most important part of this second Corinthians five ninety. Not counting their trespasses against them. How many people in the whole world buy that idea? Huh? These people say, oh, well, he's bad, he's going to hell. I mean, that's what most people think. You, you, this one just completely uh, annihilates that idea. This is Second Corinthians five nineteen. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And who's He talking about? Who's of them? The world. It's everyone. And He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That means He has put upon us. We have the responsibility of giving the gospel to other people. Put a star around this. I mean, golly, Next time somebody thinks you're going to run into people all the time to think, oh well, He's not good enough. He's going to hell. Not counting their trespasses against, not holding their trespasses against. What are trespasses? It's sins. He's talking about the entire world. This is the doctrine of unlimited atonement in one verse. Now, well, I, I'm sorry, I defaulted to Second Corinthians five nineteen. We're so close to it; it's just like a magnet. I just had to go to it. And evidently, we're going to have to quote this verse. And John 3, ten times at a meeting, I guess. I know y'all don't like me for doing this. <laughs> I mean, it, it it's, it's, it's just takes practice. It just takes, you don't have to know a thousand verses. You should know at least, though, 12 key verses. And this is one of them. Because most of the people that you're going to come in contact with the rest of your life think that if you're really a pretty bad person, you're going to hell because of your sins. This verse right here just cuts that idea off at the knees. But let's go back to verse 7. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, a lot of people would take this as believers are really duped because they think that's because they're spiritually blind, that we have blind faith. They think that we will believe anything. But We're easy mark. We use religion as a crutch. What they don't realize is, because they're ignorant of the Bible, it's tremendous mass of evidence to prove that what these promises say are absolutely true. When it says we walk by faith, it doesn't mean it's a blind leap of faith. You could say... For we walk by evidence, evidence that we hear and can understand, but not necessarily evidence that we can see. I was going to have you all explain these to me, but I guess I'm explaining them to you. You got that? For we walk by faith. And what does it mean, walk by faith? It doesn't mean that we walk on the edge of a cliff and just, you know, It's not talking about literal walking here, is it? We live our lives according to the precepts of the Bible. Our behavior, our decisions, everything about us are predicated upon walking by what the Word of God says. We have confidence in the Word of God. That's how we live our lives. And not by sight. We don't live by what we see because... Most of the world has been greatly deceived because they live by sight. What did Peter say when he had seen the resurrected Lord? He said he has a stronger proof. Even though he saw the resurrected Lord, and what was he talking about? He was talking about the Word of God. That is what we walk by. Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit. Now, that's an easy one. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Could you tell someone? If I mean, I'm not putting you all on the spot. Probably half of you might not come back next time because you don't like to be, have your bibliology ignorance showing. Yeah, it just means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When we walk by the Spirit, it means we are filled with the Holy Spirit if you are the, one of the less than one half of 1% of the believers that know how to be filled with the Holy Spirit and can articulate it to someone, if you're one of those, then you can very much appreciate what it means to walk by the Spirit. There's a, a go-to Daystar bookstore and just look at how many books they have on spirituality. And the whole lot of them doesn't have a clue how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's all this, Woo, all this, you know, outer limit stuff. Ephesians four one, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. What were you called to be? Spiritual kings and queens? Yeah, we're we're going to be that. At least maybe some of us. There you go, ambassador. Aren't we ambassadors? We're called to represent Christ on earth while He's gone. That is part of our calling. It says walk that way. Behave that way. That's what it means. These phrases mean nothing unless you can get the gist of what it's talking about. This peripeteo is you. It's talking about your behavior. It's talking about your mode of life based on what you believe and what you think. So we are to walk by the Spirit. How do you know if you're walking by the Spirit or not? Well, I know that I have a barometer inside. And when I start getting angry, when I start getting impatient, when I start being fearful, any of these things, it's just like a gong. You know, just a thing going off here. And I, finally, after it rings loud enough and long enough, it shouldn't how long does a one of those alarm bells have to go off before you notice it's something that you? It's, oh, yeah, it's an alarm bell. When you get in any of these middle attitude sins, you're not happy. That is your barometer saying bom, 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 something's wrong, bom, bom, something's wrong, like this. Y'all look like you don't know what I'm talking about. I think you have a spiritual barometer. Walk in love. We went over that. Walk as children of light. We have the light. You know, if it was in the middle of December, a moonless, starless night, and the electricity went completely out, and you couldn't see your hand in front of your face, and you try to struggle to get out these doors, that's how some people live their life. They have eyes to see. They have incandescent bulbs, but their soul is dark. It has no truth in it. It has nothing but deception and lies that they have accepted. They're walking in darkness. We are children of light. Ephesians five fifteen. Be careful how you walk. Are you careful how you walk? All right, I'm going to ask you a question. What do you do? Give me a manifestation of an example. What does it mean to be careful how you walk? Now, we know that if you were in a minefield, somebody might be telling you, be careful how you walk, wouldn't they? I mean, you would be (coughs) just kind of feeling your way, you know, really looking really close. Well, when it says be careful how you walk, if you were walking through a minefield and you were careful, you'd be very alert, wouldn't you? You'd be putting into practice everything that you've learned about minefields, would you not? Being careful. That's how we are to walk. We are to be very careful as to be in tune whether we're filled with the Holy Spirit or not. Because if you're not, if you're not walking filled with the Holy Spirit, then you're walking in darkness. Conduct yourself with wisdom. You know what the word conduct there is in the Greek? All of this. Peripateo. I did a word search on Peripateo. And there were 95 verses or or times that Peripateo was used. I don't have all 95 of them here. I just have a few. But I'm showing you the different ways that this word is used so you'll understand when it's not talking about literally, you know, putting one foot in front of the other, walking. When it's not talking about that, it's talking about this. And the Bible is expansive on this word as to what it means. So you know what it means to conduct yourself with wisdom? What is wisdom? Bible doctrine. Wisdom is not intelligence. There are a lot of spiritual morons that are geniuses. Second Thessalonians uh, 2.12 Behave properly. That one I can understand the best. Behave properly. And you know what that word there is? Behave. Bear potato. It's talking about walking. Walking. Live your life in such a way. Properly. Do it properly. How can you walk or behave properly if you don't if you haven't been trained how to do it? That's what's so wrong with so much of our society is most parents are dismal failures in having their children behave properly. And I get sick of seeing it, even in Christian churches. You see, I mean, in uh, Bible doctrine churches, you see kids that are just—they're not behaving properly. Well, I'm not going. That's a problem, and they are not peripeteo oh, p- properly. First Peter five eight: the devil prowls around. You know what the word there for prowls is? Walking. Only I love the way they translated this. The the, the, the Satan he doesn't walk he's prowling, you, know. you know. He's he's looking, see. And it's the same word, isn't this a isn't this word huge the way it's used? The devil prowls around, walking in truth. How do you have to? What do you mean walking in truth? You can't walk in truth unless it's between your ears already and you get that by what you're doing right now. Growing in grace and knowledge, sitting down, listening to uh, the Bible being expo- expository teaching. This is the last one. Revelation twenty-one twelve. Nations will walk by its light. I didn't expect anybody to get that one, but nations will walk. Did you know nations could walk? What they're talking about, walk there. They're talking about behave. Nations will behave, they will walk by its light. Its here in context is the glory of God. When the new heavens and the new earth are made and the new Jerusalem comes down, there's not going to be any sun, there's not going to be any moon. It's going to be the glory of God, His own light that is going to light Literally, light the entire universe, and it says nations will walk by its light, by its truth, by its illumination. Don't we talk about that sometimes, as far as wisdom and and walking properly? Walk in. I've been illumined. I, 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 what did Hank Williams say? Praise the Lord! I saw the light. Uh. I know I might be crazy, but I like it. I mean, I'm not a stuffed shirt, and that's just my way. And I'm I'll get with have you ever heard Hank Williams sing that song? If you can if you can't tap your foot to that, you better check your pulse. But I mean what a great song is that. He's talking he he knows what he's talking about. The light. Okay, they are, see all we did there was are leading. That's the two words we got there with peripeteo. This is the same phrase here that we had here. They are leading an undisciplined life and all of that was just to where we got to are leading. Now we get to an undisciplined life, a totos, and we'll do that next time. Time flies when you're having fun. Time flies when you are cued in and being fed the Word of God. It's just like when I fed my chickens this evening. Uh, you would think they hadn't ate in two years. When it's when I'm pouring the feed out of the deal, they're getting it before it even hits the ground. I mean, they're just... It's a stampede. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if people have that same type of hunger for the teaching of God's Word. And I, I just revel in it. And I'm so, every time I come to church and I see a group, we have a pretty good group here for our Tuesday night, and even we have several regulars that aren't here. But it just does my, my soul good to see that kind of hunger. Because that's what it's going to take to turn this country around. And whether it's going to be enough, and it's, whether it's going to be in time, I have no way of knowing. But I I have spudazzo. I love people who do have spudazzo, who also have spudazzo. They just can't get enough. Okay, let's close. Father, thank you for this time you've given us to fellowship in your Word. We're so thankful that you have given us the means to peripateto, to walk and behave properly, for us to use the spiritual dynamics that you have given us. We pray that we will just not slide into our old habits and our own ways, but we will continue to forge new wheel ruts and make them these, uh, a highway and that we will forge more and more to where we can eventually exploit Your grace to where we can glorify You and have great blessings, immeasurable blessings that, that You give to us. We thank You for this and pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.